This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. It was the day of resurrection. We are on week three of Easter, 21 days into the 50-day season of Easter, but our story today is still unfolding here on the day of resurrection. This is the same day that the empty tomb was discovered When the angel said to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. The same day that the women ran down the road and named what they had not seen. And the other disciples rolled their eyes with tears rolling down their faces. It was just an idle tale, of course. Dead things don't come back to life. Everybody knows that. It was the same day that Jesus appeared to some unbelieving disciples as they walked down the Emmaus Road, explained the scriptures to them, ate food with them. It was the same day when those Emmaus disciples ran back to the others who were gathered in the locked room and corroborated the women's truly unbelievable tale, the Lord has risen indeed. That's where we found ourselves now. In the story today, on Resurrection Day, in a locked room, when Jesus appears again. The disciples were startled, we hear. We hear that they were terrified. I mean, they had been hearing all day from all kinds of people that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he was now walking around alive, but come on, this is impossible news to trust. And even though he's standing there in front of them, Wounded hands extended. This is impossible to trust. He must be a ghost. He must be a figment of our grieving imaginations. He must not be who we think he is. Aside from the fact that dead things don't come back to life, there's no way that this is happening. There's no way that this Jesus, the one we deserted and betrayed and turned our backs on, the ones we shook our heads toward and said, Jesus, no, I don't know him. There's no way that he is now standing in front of us with tenderness in his eyes saying, friends, why do you doubt? There's no way that that this man who we left dead on the cross with his mother weeping at his feet would come back and say to us now, friends, why are you afraid? Look at these wounds. Look at my, my flesh and my bone. It's me. This, this moment is impossible to trust. He can't be here, and if he is, he can't still love us. Can he? So Jesus does the only other thing he knows to do. He asks for some food. And they offer him some of their broiled fish, and he eats it. And there's something in that moment when they put the fish on a plate and into his scarred hand, when he began to eat it there amongst his chosen family, they start to remember the wine that they shared with him at the wedding in Cana. The countless meals inside the homes of strangers, even the homes of people that nobody thought they should be eating with. The bread he broke and made multiples of feeding more than 5,000 in that wilderness spot, how they learned what he believed and who he loved simply by 
watching where he showed up to eat and feast and feed. And as he sat there eating that fish with his family, they thought to themselves, maybe it was him after all. There's something powerful, something magical that happens when people share food together. Just a few years ago, Derek Black was a rising star in the white nationalist movement. They're, these are folks who believe that the white race is superior, that the races should be separated, that black people and Hispanic people should be removed from our country. He had learned over the years from his father that white people are the superior race, and Derek drank in everything his father taught him. He even went so far as to start his own website, his own radio show for people who believe like him. And he decided to enroll when he turned 18 at the New College of Florida, which was a top-ranked liberal arts school with a strong history program. And Derek wanted to go there so that he could study medieval European history and then go out and inform everybody how whites had been the superior race throughout history. Now, Derek decided he was going to go incognito when he went to school so that he could infiltrate, if you will, and find ways to quietly spread his ideas. Except, if you've ever met the internet, um, a student on campus discovered his website and then his radio show and shared what he found through message boards on campus. Derek was ostracized. He had to move off campus. No one would talk to him, and when they did, what they said was not friendly. <laughs> Except for Matthew Stevenson. Matthew Stevenson, who was an Orthodox Jew, also a student at the New College of Florida. Matthew wanted to host weekly Shabbat dinners in his apartment, and he invited anyone and everyone because there were not many Orthodox Jews there on the campus. And his guest list was kind of a motley crew. There were Jewish people and Christians. There were atheists. There were black people and white people and Hispanic people. Anyone who was willing to gather at a table and listen to a few blessings in Hebrew and eat the food that he prepared, well, they were welcome at Matthew's apartment each Friday night. And Matthew invited Derek. People who had been regularly attending the Shabbat dinners, they said to him, hey, um, Fran, you're an Orthodox Jew. This may not be the best idea you've ever had. But Matthew thought, maybe Derek's never known anybody who was Jewish. So he went ahead and invited him. Now, Derek, of course, was nervous. He wasn't sure that he could trust the invitation or the intention behind it, but it was the only social invitation that he had received since his classmates had learned about his website and his radio show, so he went. And Derek showed up with a bottle of wine, and he was quiet and polite, and no one mentioned white nationalism. The other guests weren't sure that they could trust Derek either, but they sat at the table and they ate and they talked, and they listened as Matthew prayed the Hebrew blessings. And Derek came back the next week, and then the next, 
And Matthew's friends kept showing up too. They got to know one another, Jewish and Christian and atheist and black and white and Hispanic. And friendships developed and they deepened and they kept gathering and they kept eating. And eventually, tentatively, gently, these new friends began to ask Derek about his beliefs, asking him to clarify the things that he had said and done. Except Derek wasn't wasn't sure anymore. He said, he said he no longer thought that whites were superior, but he did think that the races should probably still be separated, living in his or her own homeland, separate but equal, he said. And he clarified that he didn't believe now in forced deportation, but self-deportation, and maybe not right now, and, and of course not for his new friends, but maybe someday. And the more they gathered and the more they ate together, the more confused Derek became, as more and more of what he had known and believed was dismantled. And eventually, after graduating in 2013, he wrote a public statement saying that he could no longer align himself with the white nationalist movement, and he apologized for the harm that had been caused by his words, his whole outlook on life and people and relationships had been turned upside down, all because someone made a seat for him at a table, all because he showed up with a bottle of wine and Matthew made some bread and some fish and a bit of soup and everyone sat down to eat together. The fear and the anger and the confusion and the mistrust they began to evaporate with every bite that was taken. Something magical happens when we are invited to a table and put food into our bodies. It happened through those Shabbat dinners with Matthew and Derek. It happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus took a few bites of fish the disciples were finally able to see and believe that their friend, their savior, had come back to them and that despite all of their stumbles, he still loved them. They were able to hear him as he reminded them of the good news in scripture. They were able to believe the hope that was growing in their hearts. They were able to trust the joy that it was to be a witness to the resurrection in the world. It's magic. What can happen when people gather at tables and share food together? And I think the world needs a little magic right now. In our gospel lesson today, Jesus showed up to people locked up in a room of fear, and he welcomed them out simply by eating with them, both metaphorically and literally, we have been locked up ourselves. Over the past year, for very good reasons, we have tucked ourselves away, but perhaps we have welcomed the walls that have grown tall between us. In some cases, just to confess, I have been grateful to be locked away from the people that I am wary of, the people I don't trust, the people I don't agree with, the people whose minds really need to change, and what in the world is the matter with them? And please get yourselves together. Thank you very much. <laughs> I wonder, now, with so many of us receiving the miracle 
of a vaccine, I wonder if it's time for us to seek out a little bit of table magic. One of the ways that Jesus is calling us to be Easter people, calling us out of our locked rooms, out from our places of division and mistrust, is by doing the things that he did. Jesus invited people to tables, and he accepted invitations to tables. He sat with people, and he ate with people that were not like him and did not believe as he did. The world needs some magic right now. It needs a few people who are willing to invite somebody to a table or accept an invitation to a table wearing your mask and doing all the same things, of course. And maybe it's somebody you wouldn't even want to pass on the aisle of a target, much less eat with them. But the world needs a few people willing to sit down at a table with their phones put away, looking the other person in the eye, putting sustenance in their body while they listen together. Tell me about the table you grew up around. Was it a table of joy or was it scary? Was it silent? Was it empty? Tell me what gives you delight. Tell me what breaks your heart. Tell me what wakes you up and keeps you up at three in the morning. Looking at the other person, listening, believing that you could trust them even, one bite at a time. Now, there are, by my calculations, 21 meals between now and next Sunday. You could spend all 21 of them eating Chick-fil-A in your car while you look at YouTube. Or you can make some magic happen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.